so some things uh, to remind you what what's happening here. Uh, big pool party this Saturday at 12 o'clock at Tiffany's house, 19 Bell River Cove, or Circle rather, and hope you guys have a blast there. And uh, also, um, uh, Sunday the 18th, uh, we're going to have a lemonade stand fundraiser for the call here in Little Rock. Alicia's leading that, grateful for what she's doing. And then uh, join me in prayer for uh, uh, Christchurch. We need space. We, uh, this is something that's a challenge for us and, and lots of needs. And praying that, you know, one of my, my prayers is that we just all function out of our gifts. And that's so important to be filled with the Spirit and, and know our gifting and function out of that. So uh, many of you have helped with uh, food service for uh, Kaylin Ben Derek. Thank you so much. Uh, Stephen has already seen Archer, and he's doing really well, so that's exciting. And then um, this Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, we're doing a training event here with Dr. Stephanie Rose. It's going to be on trauma-informed care, a guide for professionals. Um, If you are involved in counseling and have an interest in caring for people who've experienced trauma, uh, feel free to come. Uh, It is free of charge. You are not required to have a license to be a part of this. And uh, you can also get a certificate of uh, training when when this is done. Uh, Open the doors at 5.30, some refreshments, training uh, six to about eight with Stephanie Rose. She's a professor at UCA, and uh, this will be her second time to teach with us here. Really did a great job last time, so. All right, stories of our faith. Uh, Last Sunday, we uh, looked at how God uses imperfect people and that Tira, you know, his name means to loiter, is the guy that went halfway and didn't finish the job. And that was okay because he was at least going in the right direction. And the whole point is that sometimes our parents are imperfect people and they don't always get it right, but there's something uh, wonderful about at least going in the right direction and about you know, giving our parents grace because one day we are going to become parents and our kids are going to look at us and they're going to say, hey, you know what? I see some inconsistencies in your life and there's just something about the extending of grace and the receiving of grace that is really, really healthy as, as people. So um, I'm really grateful for, for Jennifer Burgess. She made this comment that when, when you see the bigger picture that God uses imperfect people, it can make uh, forgiveness a little easier. It's the idea that, uh, you know, you're really good at, at finding a speck in somebody else's eye. Uh, have you noticed the log in your own? You know, there's just something about, about grace and the beauty of, of understanding how God is at work in all our lives. So appreciate what Jennifer said. And so tonight, I want to begin with prayer and uh, uh, dig into Psalm 123. Um, Abba, Father, you are kind and you are so, so gentle with us, your children. Thank you that you've made this day new with your mercy. Thank you that nothing separates us from love and you call us to walk with you. Would you please bless right now? Uh, unlock Psalm 123 in our hearts so that this becomes our psalm and not just something that, that we think applies or belongs to somebody else. Help us to own it right at a heart level, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. 
<clears throat> okay, so the images that you're seeing here are intentional because the concept of eyes and hands are really kind of primary to the song, okay, to the prayer song. So let's, let's take, and I want to read this. This is the New American Standard 2020 translation of Psalm 123. To you I have raised my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, Lord. Be gracious to us. For we have had much more than enough contempt. Our soul has had much more than enough of the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Done. Really a short song, a song prayer. So let's walk through this and dig deep. Now, now Laura, uh, I, as I'd mentioned, we get to talk, all right? You get to raise your hand and say, that makes no sense. Would you please go for that again? You get to ask questions and I, I want that. And then, of course, or we're going to literally turn this over to the church. And I want you guys to take ownership on how we live this out. It's kind of like the invitation. I'm inviting you all to own this thing and say, how do we pull it out of, you know, 550 B.C. to 2021? And that's when, when the Holy Spirit really speaks. It's exciting. So, okay, let's dig in. All right, so right off the bat, uh, by the way, the dating is probably around 550 B.C., and I think it's written from Babylon, okay? That's, that's the, the location. Uh, to you I have raised my eyes, all right? And hence the graphic, nasa et ayin in Hebrew. Uh, and your life, it's a perfect tense verb. It's a really significant verb, nasa, the lifting up, all right? When it, in perfect tense means, I do this all the time. This is what I do. I have settled the issue that when I pray, I look up. Now, intuitively, in our culture, we look down. You know, uh, a lot of it has to do with the teachings of Jesus. Is prayer a public thing or a private thing to Jesus? Private. Public, too. He prayed in public. But there's something about going to your closet and kind of making it a private thing. And then what about the, the, one of the prayers that is profoundly honored in the New Testament is the prayer that the evil sinner prays in the temple in contrast to the righteous Pharisee, right? And what did he do with his, did he look up? No. In fact, he wouldn't look up. He's so ashamed and so embarrassed of his life that he couldn't lift his eyes and he just looks down and he's hitting himself in the chest. And all he can manage to get out is God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, now who left the temple justified? Okay, the one that couldn't lift his eyes up. But Madison, the fact is, the Jewish practice of prayer is eyes up. Remember, look at Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So continuing that idea. Uh, but notice it's first person. I have raised my eyes. 
So this song prayer begins first person. Notice the upward orientation. Notice that this hints at confidence. I'm lifting up my eyes to someone who I believe can help and make a difference in my life. Okay, common expression uh, for the sovereignty of God to look up. Let's dig a little bit here on this idea of upward orientation. Psalm 25, 15, my eyes are continually toward the Lord. 26, 3, your goodness is before my eyes. I've walked in your truth. Uh, Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will raise my eyes to the mountains, for my eyes are toward you, God, the Lord. For in you, I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. So very common in, in the book of Psalms that we literally look to God. And that's more than just a, a psychological idea. It's actually a physical expression of posture. You're actually turning toward God, eyes open, head up, looking up. Okay, very common. Um, let's look uh, a little bit more here about the eyes and the hands here. Behold the eyes of servants, evid in Hebrew. Uh, there's no real soft way of translating this word here. It means slave, Okay. We, they are not us. We are not them. This is ancient Mediterranean culture. It's about 550. There are such things as slaves. We're talking forced labor. We're talking being owned by another human being. Modern persons today, in 2021, we would find this disgusting and gross and, of course, those who are into the politicization of these kinds of things would, would say it discredits the Bible. But that's actually not the case. Okay? And when the scriptures present culture, it's doing just that. It's not saying their culture is ideal. The scriptures teach that the truth of God is what is ideal and good and right. And it's transcultural, supracultural. applies to all cultures at all times with no exceptions. That's the teaching of scripture. Uh, what we do miss is that for the ancient Hebrew people, slavery functioned as a kind of employment, and we miss that. You hear the word slave, and it's automatically some abusive thing, antebellum south, people getting nets dropped on them and roped, and they're hauled to ships like animals, and then they make it to the, the docks in New Orleans, and they're sold and like property, and then they're they're you know, tied and chained and they're hauled to the, to the cotton plantations to work. If they disobey, they're beaten. It's not the idea. It's not the idea. In fact, um, there are people in, in, uh, in the ancient world, Semitic world, Palestinian world, you want to be a slave. You want to attach yourself to good people, you know. Uh, you know I, I think the world of Bruce and Janice Trice and... If I could be their slave and they would give me room and board and I would do yard work, because, you know, Bruce, it's hard to do yard work, right? And, and I, I edged and trimmed and, and did the shopping and I literally was owned by the trices. I'm their servant, you know? And I would say, it's a great deal. <laughs> I get three squares and a place to sleep, you know? Uh, that's a part of the idea. In fact, in the law... Uh, a slave could be adopted as a family member. 
It's actually in the law. It's written in the law. Yeah. To the point that you could not sell that slave ever because they are now your family. Yeah. So we don't need to let this word sidetrack us. And maybe I've given you too much, but I just don't want there to be a misunderstanding. So let's pay attention a little bit to the Hebrew because there's no soft selling any of this stuff. Just like the eyes of a servant, a male servant, look to the hand of the master, just like a female slave would look to the hand of the mistress, the female master, so our eyes look to you, Lord, you're our God, okay? Um, The word there, Adon, you may have heard the name Adonai for God, Okay, really kind of common. Amy Grant kind of made that popular among Christians years ago. You know, Adonai, El Elyon, Adonai, and things. It means Lord God, yeah. Here it's used, the form of it, as a master, lord, governor, king, god, prince, etc. Okay. Um, Slave girl, maid, maid servant. So it's interesting. Thing A has something to do with thing B. It's really interesting what's going on here. Our eyes, notice the shift. We've gone from I lift my eyes to we lift our eyes. So we're shifting from a private statement to now a communal, national perspective. And the verb nasah is pulled over from verse 1, by the way. And, and we're going we're gonna to look to God, okay? We're going to look for mercy until, until he shows mercy, until he's gracious to us. Our eyes are going to look to him. Uh, I, I love the idea that we're going to give ourselves over to God's timing. I like that. Jesus said a lot about watching, praying, watching, waiting, those kinds of things. Here's the idea, if you can appreciate this. So, kal vachomer in Hebrew literally means to go from what is light to what is heavy. To, if you can prove thing A you automatically prove thing B to be true, okay? If you can get what thing A means, it automatically proves thing B. Jesus used that argument. Jesus proved he could think and argue like a Hebrew would when he said, look, how many of you, you guys are evil, right? You're all evil, messed up people. If your hungry boy or girl comes to you and says, I'm hungry, can I have some bread? Would you give them a stone? Being messed up people? Would you? No. They ask for fish? Would you give him a snake or a scorpion? Well, no. And then Jesus said, thing A, if you know how to give a good gift to your child, how much more, we're going from the light to the heavy, how much more should you trust your father in heaven? So there's the, the infographic there. The male slave literally looks toward the master expecting something from the master's hand. The female slave looks toward the mistress, the, the female version of a, of a master. Looks, gives them eye contact, but expects something from their hand. That's thing A. And if the master knows how to open the hand and provide for the slave, how much more would Jehovah give good things to his children who follow him, who have, have faith. This is what, what's going on here. 
verse 3. This is the call for graciousness, kanar in Hebrew, a kanan rather. Um, be gracious, it's repeated. Uh, uh, you, you can translate kanan, gracious, pleading, mercy. But the actual root meaning means to bend down, to bend over and help. Okay. Do you remember what I said Sunday about how a toddler draws an adult? What does an adult look like to a toddler on a piece of paper? Big head, small head. Big head, yeah. You know. Why? Because the adult is kanan. The adult's bending down to help. Yeah, that's the imagery. It literally means to bend down. You know, in fact, uh, a Greek equivalent is going to be uh, the Samaritan is traveling, walks up on a man that has been uh, beaten and, and abandoned and, and bends down and helps him. He bends down, cares for the wounds, binds up the wound, clothes him, puts him on the donkey, takes him. To, that's the idea. Bend down. God, please, would you bend down and would you listen I'm looking at you. you. You've got a great big face right now. Bend down, please. And I need you to meet my needs, okay? We've had much more than enough, much more contempt. By the way, the Hebrew word for, for contempt is booze. Yes, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> booze, you know, and it means to treat as worthless, to be condescending toward maltreatment. That's uh, Alan Ross. Uh, quoting him, okay? Um, our soul has had much more than enough of the scoffing, la'ag, nefesh, soul, human soul. Uh, there are people who are mocking, shaming, there's derision. We, we are the object of laughter, shame. And he describes these people doing these shaming things as at ease and proud. So, you ready for some heavy history and theology? Who are these oppressors? Who are these mocking people? We've got a couple of options. It's coming from the inside, internal oppressors. You've got upper-class Jews shaming lower-class Jews during the captivity. That's an option. Okay. When did Babylon, when did Babylon come in and conquer Jerusalem? About 586, okay? Destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, and there's a massive haul of people to Babylon, okay? Uh, you know, around 528-ish, a new king arises in power, right? Cyrus, and he says, y'all need to go home. Remember the story of Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah? Go home. This is around 550. This is right in the captivity, so who are these mocking, abusive people? Are they upper-class Jews, high-status Jews, shaming the poor? Mocking? Or is it an external thing? Are these Babylonian pagans mocking their captors or their captives? Is that what it is? You, know, you may remember Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remember Zion and what it used to be like in the temple. So inside, outside, what do you guys think? Both. Open mic. Both. You think both? Is it possible? Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the internal one is like in 
pecking order. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Anybody else? Good. So therefore, you're leaning to internal. Yeah. 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 Maybe I just don't understand how they would choose their metaphors. Yeah. 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 That's good, Andrea. Now, of course, uh, Kathy, you're onto it though that any conquering army is going to celebrate their victory. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you can even take it a step further than that. What, what does, in the New Testament, we learn that God wants from us what? Everything. He wants all of our being. Right. What does a master own of the slave? He owns all of their being. Mm -hmm. So as his children, we're supposed, I mean, he calls us his, he calls us his children our devotion is to be like that of a slave. Mm -hmm. Children aren't always devoted. Yeah. A slave yeah. has no other choice for yeah. whether it's internal or external reasons. Yeah. Yeah. They're totally devoted to that master. Yeah, that's and good, Laura. So yeah. I can see the Israelites here saying, you know, hey, you know, I'm looking at you like these slaves because I should be a slave to your will and totally devoted yeah. to you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, activity because they weren't. Yeah. Laura, um, put you on the spot here. Uh, could, could slave, should, should, a, should a conquering nation, Babylon, they conquer the Jews and they hold them off to Babylon, are they obligated to take care of their captives? They didn't see it that way, I don't think, because they were pagan. They had a different view of mortality yeah. and relationships than the Israelites. Yeah, certainly some... People viewed humans as being expendable. But for the most part, they actually took care of them. Do you know why? They're slave labor. <laughs> they work. Got to feed them. Got to feed them. Got to clothe them. Got to nurture them so they can work for you. Uh, was Daniel a slave? Did he have a rough life? No. He was, he was, he was eating the kings. He was eating... All the, all the goodies, the high, he was the high-end slave, right? So you could, you could be a slave and have it really, really good, or you could be the slave that's out, you know, making bricks or hauling water or feeding livestock. So it's kind of a full spectrum kind of thing. But, but you, you guys are bringing good insights in here, yeah? By the way, uh, do, do you remember, we've covered this, it's been a bit ago, 
you remember why the Pharisees were so, so volatile about how important it is to keep the rules? Why? Why do we have to keep the rules? What's that? It keeps order. Yes, keep going. Exactly. So if you are not experiencing the abundant life, if your crops are failing and your cattle are not reproducing and your enemies have entered your border and conquered you, is that the blessed life? No. That's called punishment. (laughs) And who does God punish? The rule breakers. And so these Pharisees go, if we just keep the rules, and if you want to play it real safe, keep the rules of the rules of the rules, and that way we won't break anything, and God will open up the floodgates of heaven, and boom, abundance, and blessing. Well, your, your vats will overflow with new wine, and all these things. So, anybody been on a family vacation, and fights break out? And, well, they touched me. Don't touch me. You know, this is my side of the seat. And, and, and the nitpicking goes on in the, in the car. You, some of you perhaps are having trauma as, I, as they bring this up. What do you think? Think the upper class Jews might say, well, if it wasn't for you trashy lower class, class Jews messing up and disobeying, we wouldn't be in Babylon right now. It's all your fault. <laughs> Maybe it's really some internal junk here. And arrogant Jews who, who have it easy. They're at ease. They don't have a hard life like the lower class. Hauling wood, making bricks, feeding livestock, harvesting crops. It's the poor peasant slaves that have got it real hard. And these proud Jews are saying, we're, we're in Babylon because you all can't keep the rules. And if you were holy, we wouldn't be in this situation. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe Kathy's on it. It's probably both. Always the captor mocks the captive. I mean, that's just honor, shame, culture. And there may be some internal pressures too. Okay. So, here we go. You're the gifted body of Christ. (laughs) How do we pull this out of Babylon into North Little Rock, Arkansas? into our world so that we realize, you know, this really does belong to me, belongs to us. How would we live it out? Why should we live this out? Why does this matter? Good, Madison. Jesus actually talks a lot about this stuff. Paul does too, by the way. You slaves, obey your obey your masters, honor them, treat them with respect, do what you're told. Masters, 
Take care of your slaves. Don't mistreat them. Don't abuse them. Yeah, yeah. I like that, Laura, because it shifts from first person to, to uh, or singular rather, to um, plural. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Do we go to him because we expect something from him? Is there an ex- expectation? Absolutely. Yeah. If there wasn't, we wouldn't go to him. At bingo, there it is. We need him. That's yeah, there it is. That's the point. So uh for me, I need to lift my eyes. To the heavens. Even if nobody else is. <laughs> right? You ever feel like it's a lonely walk? I need to make sure that I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. Regardless of what other people do. But then again. Uh, it's no surprise that there are a lot of people who are looking just like I am. And boy to hang out with those kind of people. That's a cool thing. Yep. Someone else. And why does this matter? How do we move it from Babylon to North Little Rock, Arkansas, or right where we live? Knowledge of how important you 
empathy is a facet or a sim or is similar to awe mm -hmm. in that way. And once once you're in that position of you're you're basically opening yourself up, like even your body, like your postures, you're looking up to ask God for mercy. Hoping it but you're asking in such a way that you really think that he would do that for you. Right? So you but because you're asking for mercy, you become very aware of yourself. So it naturally just spills over into ha wanting to have mercy for other people. Andrew, you have answered very, very well. And do you realize that you've just described the basis for self-esteem? Yes. So Isn't that I beautiful? Think that we shouldn't lose this. I think we should actually yeah. make a practice yeah. of asking for mercy. Absolutely. And it's not a humiliation. Yeah. And it's not a guilt thing like what people I love in my life felt like religion was. Like it's shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Because you believe he's willing to bend down. Yes. Because he loves. But you're not being a mean and snotty, demanding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. proponent of your materialistic wants because you're asking for mercy. mercy. In fact, those who are being materialistic and arrogant are those who are at ease and full of pride. The opposite, the people we don't want to be or shouldn't be. Exactly. We're the broken ones that look up. Yeah. You've answered very well. Thank you. This is the basis of self-esteem. Finding our worth in God. And of course, when you add to the New Testament, it's even better. You can have Christ's esteem now, which is incredible. So, Andrew, thank you so very, very much. Chris, I think you're wrong about something, though, that I thought of, too, which is um, how close are we to be toward others as well. If we have it well, well off, are we not wanting to up the status quo? Because throughout history in Israel, you have people that were sympathizers with their oppressors. You had Hellenistic Jews that really wanted Rome to continue to keep order. Same in Babylon, same in Egypt. Even today, I could think there's a lot of things that people want out of this country to still keep going strong. And that pool, I don't want that pool to be greater than my faith uh, by any means. But then I also don't want to look down on people that are in a rougher spot. So I have to watch myself there. Um, and then I also think about who's the ultimate authority over everything. Um, it's God. And so we can request things of the Lord, but also be understanding and receptive enough to knowing that he is the ultimate authoritarian and will dictate what he wants. And it is for our good, even if it may not benefit us in that moment. Yeah. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, we may perish today, but the Lord still lives and breathes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it makes me think of that's so good, Philip. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. We're going we're gonna to keep looking, Andrea. We're going to keep seeking the hand and begging for kanan, grace, mercy, asking him to bend over, bend down and help until 
He helps until he shows mercy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you make your, yeah. it's like you're just acknowledging how Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Sloan. You encouraged me. And, and uh, I prayed this today for somebody. Um, praying over the phone, there was a, a pretty big situation coming down. And I said, you know, and this is in my heart. Uh, Christchurch, I'm not... Uh, going to use this really, really awesome, humble language because I think it's, I'm really pride, prideful about my humility. It's not that. Okay, it's not a humble brag, as they say. I'm dead serious. I am so serious. There is nothing in me. I come empty-handed when I pray. It's, it's not like, hey, God, it's me. Fact is, you owe me some. So, all right, I want you to do this, this, this. Pop, let's go. You owe me. You're lucky you. You got Chris Perry. It is so the opposite. I bring nothing that would motivate him to open his hand. I I can't twist his arm. I can't keep, hey, come on. I'm knocking. And remember the woman that wouldn't quit knocking? Come on. Let's go. Come on. No, that is not me. I, there is, I am so bankrupt. There's nothing. Okay. So in my prayer... I said, God, would you get your eyes off of me? And you get your eyes on Jesus. And would you look at his face? And because of him, would you give this woman peace? That's where I think it comes from. I've got nothing. I don't twist his arm. I'm the broken little boy looking at a great big head bending over. And he's the one that chooses to open his hand, not because of any good thing I've done. He, he doesn't owe me at all. So, yeah. <laughs> Can I use a play on words here? Anybody had enough? <laughs> we have had more than enough. Anybody had it up to here, as they say? <laughs> Anybody here had enough? And Kathy and Laura, when we do have enough, we've had it. I can't take one more. Ah! I will lift up my eyes to him. And he's there. Someone else, why does this matter? you have a son who asks for bread or a child who asks for fish, you feed them, you being a broken, fallen human, parent know how to do what is good and right and just for your children. How much more does your father in heaven know how to give you the things that you need?
by the way, Andrea, a lot of what you said is a part of the theology behind the Lord's Prayer. Think about it. Um, our Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. Not my name is holy. Like, I, I, you know, you owe me. Your name is holy. Philip, you talked about ultimate authority. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Open your hand. Give us this day, the day of today. In Greek, it's kind of kind of cool. Give today's bread today. Forgive us our debts. Show mercy to us as we have shown mercy to others. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Andrea, in, in case we didn't get it, Matthew is really kind to give us a little commentary on the prayer and says in verse 14, for if you forgive others their transgression, you show mercy to them, your heavenly Father will show mercy to you. If you do not forgive others, your Father will not show mercy to you. It's serious business. In fact, if you could kind of fly up and see the big lay of the ground of the Gospels and of Paul, you would find one of the surest, clearest indicators of true conversion is the capacity for mercy. That's it. That can be the thing that reveals more about the new birth than quoting scripture, saying something in Hebrew or Greek or whatever. Your capacity for mercy and to extend that to others. Pretty amazing. So the Apostle Paul taught us to ask for bread, <laughs> to ask for the wine. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. I want to read something from Paul's letter to the Corinthians at chapter 10. You know, Paul, Paul makes mention that when you do the Lord's Supper, that there are, there are occasions in which you reflect and you take the Lord's Supper with the right motives. Does anybody know? I've taught on this, but it's been a while. Pop quiz. What are what are right motives for the Lord's Supper? You've been saved. Been saved. Great. Spot on. There's number one. What's next? Based on the teaching of First Corinthians ten and eleven. I know I'm I know I'm quizzing you. What's the prerequisite or the thing that lets you come run into the Lord's Supper? How do you take it in the right way? Do you recall? Is it? Yes. It's not, it's, it has nothing to do with you saying, well, you know, you said a dirty word at work. Shame, shame, shame. You had them dirty thoughts. You looked at something on your phone you shouldn't have looked at. You, you, 
ran your charge card up again. It's none of that stuff. None of that stuff. It's how you treat people. If you have the capacity for mercy. What was going on at Corinth? You know, remember churches were in homes, right? And so they, the, the, the host would provide a meal. There'd be wine. Yeah. And what did they have? Nothing. Paul said, that is the unworthy manner of taking the Lord's side. You should no mercy to the poor. None. It, now listen, so much consumption of wine. Paul says, quote unquote, what? You're drunk? <laughs> he says it. He says, for your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another is drunk. One has nothing and the other one is half passed out on the couch, the clean A in Greek, the couch, because he's had so much wine because he's been there a couple hours early. That's how I take the Lord's Supper at Corinth. <laughs> and you thought there were little bitty cups, didn't you? <laughs> no. No, no, no. It was real stuff too, by the way. It wasn't Welch's. It was real stuff. So maybe it's a good time to do a mercy check. Okay, let me pray for us. Abba Father, again, uh, we come to you as children looking to our Father in heaven. Uh, we can never thank you enough for mercy. Thank you for these things. Teach us just like a slave would look to their master. Teach us to look to you even when we take the bread and take the cup. And we lift our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
some things to pray about. Um, always a revival of God's spirit, always. And pray for kings and all in authority. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Somalia, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, is asking us to pray for that country today. And uh, the believers uh, facing persecution from family, neighbors, etc. Um, I chatted with Terry Hughes. He's still struggling. He had a doctor's appointment today. Slow go for him, absolutely. Um, Jan Fields has had two more spots removed, one on her face, one on her thigh, and they're sent to path. She has not heard what the results are going to be. Uh, her, her dermatologist uh, said, hey, you and I are going to be best friends for a long time. <laughs> and so this one was the full body scan to make sure that it's not missing anything. So pray for Jan. She's got the burden of wondering what, what the PATH report's going to be. And you know that would weigh heavy on her. So, um, Also pray for Sunday. Um, some exciting things are going to happen. I'm excited, yeah. Some folks are going to be here that need to experience the love and the grace that is uh, uniquely given here. And so pray for God's grace there. So. Uh, anybody else something to pray about that you can think of? Anything? Okay. So, thank you all so very, very much. Uh, Chris Weaver uh, was on for the first time in Zoom. He's driving in from a big trip. Thank you, Chris, for being a part of it. Thank you very much. So, um, okay, much love and grace to all, and look forward to seeing you guys Sunday. Okay. <laughs>